Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and toquettes And non-toking lovers of liberty Radical Russ here, but not really It's time for my semi-annual Two-week vacation That means for the rest of this week you get to hear the best of my most recent interviews, segments, and rants. So sit back and relax and smoke them if you got them, because this is the best of the Russ Belleville Show. It is my privilege and honor to introduce California's lieutenant governor, and if we're lucky, our next governor, Gavin Newsom. Thank you. My family members right there. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, Nate. Thank you, uh, thank you all for not getting up after the panel left for a break. So I, I appreciate your indulgence, and uh, I'll try to respect your time uh, and not fill up the entire allotment and give you time, perhaps, if we have, for a dialogue, which would be very valuable for me as well. I'm grateful to be here. The low bar that has been set... For this organization, that a lieutenant governor is the highest-ranking official ever to be in front of you, is not lost on me. (laughs) It's not lost on any of you. And frankly, it's why this organization was born, out of some frustration with the lack of leadership, some frustration of lack of resolve, some frustration that folks like me of all political stripes, were having private conversations that didn't necessarily square with their public conversations. Lack of courage, lack of conviction. And all the while, real people suffering. Real consequences to inaction. Which, by definition, is intent. If you sit by and you do nothing, you've done everything by abdicating any responsibility for the world you're living in. So, so I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be here on a panel, ex-politicians, talking about what I could have, should have done when I was in office. I kind of got a little frustrated with some of my colleagues because, well, they weren't leading I got frustrated because they were very good, politicians are very good at lamenting about the world they were living in, particularly as it relates to criminal justice and sitting there giving fancy speeches about the failure of the war on drugs. And when the time came to actually do something about it, well, they they fell short. And I started thinking about my own life. You know, I'm getting up there, but I was, you know, a few years old when California had just 20,000 people in their prison system. It wasn't that long ago. And in 2007, by the way, in 1977, we had 20,000 people in the California prison system. In 2007, we had 173,000 people 
in our California prison system. Now, you know these stats, right? In the 70s, we had roughly 300,000 people nationwide. Now we have roughly 2.3 million more people incarcerated in the United States of America than any other nation on planet Earth. 5% of the population, 25, roughly 25% of the world's incarcerated. You all know these stats. So this has happened on my watch. This has happened on your watch. There's that great billboard down in L.A. on the 405. Any of you from L.A., you'll appreciate this. One of the most congested freeways in the United States of America. And there's this big billboard that says, you're not stuck in traffic. <laughs> and you're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and about 20 minutes later, you, you get 100 yards closer to the billboard. <laughs> and in small letters underneath, in parentheses, it says, you are traffic. Think about that, right? Society becomes how we behave. We are our behaviors. We are not bystanders in the world we're living in. We have agency. This has happened on our watch. And we have got to turn it around. And so I am honored for the opportunity to share my thoughts with you today and honored to participate and I hope an ongoing dialogue with you over the course of many, many years to right the wrong on the abject failure, which is our war on drugs in the United States of America. And you know this. I, I, I am preaching the choir, but it's a war on the poor and it's a war on folks of color. And it's got to end. And the only way you end it is by going to the most destructive and the most ineffective component of that war. And that's the war on cannabis. That's the war on marijuana, dare I say it, without getting hisses and boos. I know my audience. Cannabis. Not marijuana. Forgive me. I know it. All right. So we got to step up our game. Now, California, you know this, led in 1996, decades ago. You know, California, you know, I, I'm a fifth-generation California. We love to say we're a state of dreamers, of doers, of entrepreneurs, of innovators, a state that long prides itself on being on the leading and cutting edge. And we certainly were, as it relates to cannabis policy and medical marijuana in the United States of America, in 1996. But 20 years went by, and a lot of progress started taking shape in other states. Success leaves clues. We saw the medical industry begin to pop up all across the rest of the country, and we've seen that progress continue. But we saw Colorado step up and step in where California stepped off the stage after the failure of Proposition 19. Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Alaska, District of Columbia. And that's a little frustrating for a guy like me. You know, I, we like to say... You know, in California, the future happened here first. And so, you know, we have to reconcile that. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that we've been the beneficiary of that of sorts as well. Because we've had the benefit of looking at what's gone right in Colorado and Washington and where they've struggled, where they've fallen short. And as a consequence of that information, we were able to put together 
a framework that we will be presenting to the voters of California this November. Now, now that, journey, that journey began about two and a half years ago. Some of you may be familiar with this. I apologize for burning you. Some of you may not. There were literally over a dozen initiatives that were out there for consideration and signatures about six or so months ago in anticipation that there would be so many possible initiatives and the possibility there'd be multiple initiatives on the same ballot, which cancel themselves out. We decided there was a void and we needed to fill that void and try to organize our thoughts in a deliberative way by organizing a blue ribbon commission, Ren and doubt, right? Politicians, blue ribbon commissions, right? But this one with some focus and emphasis, we decided to put together a group of two dozen folks, uh, about 60% of them more likely to support adult use, legalized adult regulated use of marijuana, but about 40% of the group that were vehemently opposed. We had children's advocates that were just outraged. This is unconscionable. You're even engaging in this conversation for brain development for young kids. This drug is devastating. We had law enforcement that read a preamble that made Reagan's war on drugs look like it was, you know... I, I don't even want to describe it because the reporters here, but they were basically saying Reagan was weak on the war on drugs. Nixon didn't even understand we need to be much, much tougher and we'll solve this thing. It began literally all our task force meetings with very aggressive language. My point is it was a diverse group of people. And we decided to go out. And we started in Los Angeles, had a town hall meeting, got a lot of good feedback. Folks for and against, we spent some time here in Oakland talking about the issues of our children and youth. Went out to Fresno, and folks were particularly concerned in the Central Valley about what's going on. I went up to the Emerald Triangle, and that's when I learned the word cannabis. <laughs> I started with marijuana, and most had to have extra security just to get through my next sentence. And folks up there expressed real concern about legalization. Now, what's it going to do for us? Do you know what the hell you're talking about? Who are you? You're from a city. You know, I know it's San Francisco, but it ain't all that. You know, rural communities are very different. You know, we're not Colorado. Don't make this like Colorado. We're not Oregon or Alaska. We're California. Trinity, Mendocino, very different. Heck, we produce, they they told me up there, they estimated 9 to $13 billion a year at wholesale, just in those three counties. What were the entire retail on rec and medical last year in Colorado? Just shy of $1 billion, right? And we're talking about our 58 counties up in the northern part of this state that produce anywhere 9 to $13 billion at wholesale cannabis. It's a game changer. This is not like Colorado. It's not like Oregon, Alaska, Washington. It's California. It's a unique agricultural state in every respect. So they reminded us, be California-centric. Protect the small farmer. Protect them. Don't sell out. We went on some tours, and you didn't need to be told to protect the environment. You saw the diversion up there. We had all these deformities, 
the wildlife system because of all the poisons the cartels are putting up there and all the old tanks up there that are rusted after the raids. No one even bothers to clean them up. We've seen how fearful the entire community was up there. Make sure you protect the environment. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Hello and welcome all you high-flying, die-trying, roll a Philly blunt for your friend hempsters, every roach-smoking bong token, however you get your THC can enthusiasts, all you rebels, individualistic originals, and outside-the-box ganja warriors, you chunky monkey, cherry Garcia, munchy-loving hempsters, all you captive earth surfers, astral travelers, and ganja-loving canosaurs, all you high-flying, wide-smiling, ganjarific cannabophiles, welcome to everyone. Because that's how I really feel. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. You're listening to the best of the Russ Belvel Show. Here's another great segment from our past six months of episodes. Our meetings elsewhere, it was, you know what? I don't have a problem with the drug, but I have a problem with people smoking and drinking and driving. You going to test it? What's your protocol for testing? You don't have one? Well, you better figure that out first. Folks out there saying, well, what's going to happen in the medical industry in California? We love our medical industry. We fought hard. We are the pioneers. Don't screw that up. Don't tax sick people, they say. Now, but that's interesting, right? Because then we had the folks from Oregon saying, well, if you don't do that, a lot of folks, interestingly, remain sick. They don't bleed into the recreational, or rather, the, well, legalized recreational system. Can you run a unitary system? Can you tax similarly? Do you tax with exemptions for people based on income? Do you exempt sales tax on medical versus recreational? Can you vertically integrate? Can you be a producer? Can you distribute? How do you distribute? Edibles. My gosh, edibles. We saw what just happened in Colorado, banning those gummy bears of certain types. Still do the larger type. What is California going to do about that? What are the disclosure requirements and the packaging requirements? What about big tobacco? We don't like big tobacco in California. Heck, we're trying to increase taxes appropriately on tobacco this year. 
we don't want big tobacco becoming big marijuana. Others said, hold on, you already have big tobacco. So it's corner drug dealers and the cartels. Folks said, well, it just normalizes the drug by saying it's legalized, and that means my kids are more likely to use it. And others said, hold on, have you been down the playground lately? You seen any studies that show every single kid says it's a hell of a lot easier to find cannabis than it is alcohol already? Some said, we're not introducing anything that's not already ubiquitous. What's your problem? What about advertising? You don't want to see big billboards near playgrounds and parks and schools. A lot of folks had no interest in that. But how do you restrict it and still protect people's constitutional rights? What about the Internet? How that works, not just magazines and billboards anymore, TV ads. All these things we had to consider, and we came out with a report uh, about six months ago with 58 specific recommendations. But we began it like this, and I say this to an audience of business leaders, and by the way, I just want you to know I'm one of you. I got into politics from small business perspective, not the other way around. I have 21 small businesses. I have close to 1,000 employees. I say that not to impress you or press upon you. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm passionate about entrepreneurialism. And I know that's what brings you here today. So I want to respect that, but I want you to know that we began the preamble of our report saying we do not do this wishing and hoping that this industry becomes the next California gold rush. That we're not doing this to, quote unquote, maximize revenue. That our purpose is not making and generating tax revenue. Our purpose was social justice. Our purpose was an ethical framework. Our purpose is righting wrong and focusing our limited resources where they need to be invested most. Our focus is on those disparities of arrests for African-Americans that are 3.73 times more likely to be arrested for nonviolent possession of marijuana than folks that look like me. Our focus was on the Latino community that's even higher rate of arrests than African-Americans uniquely in the state of California. Our concern is about the fact that even though it's an infraction to have a small amount of marijuana in California since 2011, there's still been 60,000 people arrested in the last four years, and again, they don't look like me. Our focus is on fixing those things. Our focus was on having a mature conversation that you have been having here today and will be having over the next few ways to be good actors and thoughtful participants in this new industry. But the fundamental tenet was this. Legalization in California is not an act that will occur on Election Day in November 2016 of this year. It's a process that will unfold over the course of many, many years in this state. We recognize that this is not a static world we're living in. We recognize the absolute essential nature of being flexible as it relates to addressing the needs of the industry and making sure that we're open to argument, interested in evidence, that we cannot be ideological about this issue one way or another. That with flexibility comes a responsibility to be proactive and engaging of people of every particular point of view. 
and that the industry must be treated with respect. We must create opportunities and conditions for success. But with that, not surprisingly, comes responsibility and accountability like any other industry. And that bad actors can screw this thing up for everybody else. And there's an enormous amount at stake. And we want good actors in the state of California. We want good community members in the state of California. We want people participating more broadly in that triple bottom line that you were talking about and feeling a sense of responsibility to the world that we're living in. We want to lead by example. And we want to recognize, again, that California impact of legalization will be felt not only across the rest of this country. We want folks to understand it's going to be felt outside the borders of this country, most notably in Central America and Mexico. And that is a significant responsibility and opportunity. And so, so that's where we are. Now, let me talk about the campaign. It's not a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. If any of you think this thing is done in California, you couldn't be more wrong. We're actually, our polling shows we're trailing the rest of the nation in terms of public opinion on legalization. Remember, it was just a few years ago the voters rejected legalization in California. Heck, I was deeply involved in something not that long ago called gay marriage. And remember, they passed Proposition 8 in California not that long ago. So don't just think because this is a universal state, and pluralism is in our middle name, and, you know, progressive values have gotten mostly Democrats in statewide office, by the way, none of whom, except the one standing here, supports legalization publicly, publicly, that, that, that this is going to be easy. You'd think when every Democrat in every statewide office, there'd be one exception to support, as opposed to one exception of opposition. So we've got work to do. Number two, don't think that you've got one person funding this as well. I love reading all this press about an old friend of mine, Sean Parker. All right, Sean's got a lot of money, there's no doubt about that. But he's got a budget, too. And he's not going to fund the whole thing. There's a lot of mythology about that. And I say that because I'm involved in a, a gun safety initiative we're going to take on and take down the NRA in California. Uh, and by the way, I hope you support that, safety for all. But that's bottom up. And I, I can contrast the way we fundraise for that with how the fundraising is going for this, where people are saying, oh, no, you got that. We need your help on the campaign. I know nothing worse than a politician asking for money. But that hardly shocks you. <laughs> we need your help. The last few weeks, we actually had some good polling, strongest we've seen. But in the last few weeks, the opposition has begun to emerge. And we're told... Every day, just wait, we've got a huge funder coming in. They're speculating that some fancy person outside the state is going to dump in millions and millions of dollars to try to defeat this. You may know one of those names. You got involved in 
some other things in other states related to medical marijuana. There's a prospect of an organized effort to defeat this. And if it is defeated, it will set back this movement in California for years and years. And I would argue set back the movement for regulated recreational adult use across this country for years and years. Do not take California's initiative for granted. We need your support. We need you to get involved in this campaign. Final point. The initiative is not perfect. God knows it's not perfect. My, there's no such thing. I, if I could ever figure out how to get every single one of you to agree, I mean, extraordinary that we even got one initiative on the ballot. But one of the smartest things we did, and I want you to know this, is we drafted in the initiative language that allows us to make fixes without having to go back in front of the voters and going through an exhaustive and expensive campaign. We will make fixes. We will adjust. We will address your legitimate concerns. We want this thing to work as much or more than anybody. And trust me, no human being wants this to work more than me. Uh, Not just because I got four young kids and a wife who's not so hot on this. She's not. She can't stand the war on drugs. She can't stand what's happened to the criminal justice system in this country. But she's scared as hell about the message this sends to our kids. She is. I get that. And we have to be respectful of that. And she doesn't buy that it's safe for very young kids. And she is worried about people smoking and jumping in a car and feeling like, the babysitter is driving down to the rec center. He's going to bring those kids back safe. We have to be respectful of those concerns. She doesn't want to see Cannabis Club on every street corner. Just like she doesn't want to see a, a bar on every street corner, my business. We have to respect people of different points of view. And by the way, we talk about where the money is going in this initiative. There'll be more money generated from legalization in this state than all the other states combined. And there'll be more money put into prevention programs, more money put into treatment programs. And we know it won't be treatment just for cannabis, quite the contrary. It's going to be the biggest expansion of drug treatment programs in California's history for people truly suffering from opioid addiction and everything else that we need to be focused on in this state. And to invest in research. We have the finest system of higher education on planet Earth, and they are going to have dedicated funding for R&D that will make what the federal government has done in the last 100 years pale in comparison. So we're excited about that as well. So (laughs) that was my meandering thoughts on this topic. I want you to know how grateful I am how responsible all of you are in this debate. This is an extraordinary organization. And it's interesting. I've been asked to speak at a lot of organizations. I've been very selective. Because some are just not always as responsible as others. This is one of the most responsible organizations nationwide and in this state. And your voice is critical going forward. So 
I'm not just here to suck up. I'm here to tell you that we need your voice after Election Day. We need you to be back at the table, making sure we implement this correctly and thoughtfully and do this in a way that does justice to this effort. Thank you guys very, very much and look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. Thank you. The cannabis business industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your Canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. We're here with Sir Richard Branson. Far more damage has been done to people by the current approach. Jim McMahon, you know, a lot of the coaches are old school. You know, he used to just yell at us, go, oh, you bunch of box smokers. John Popper on the telephone. You know, I think in the 60s, there was that kind of, the bigotry wasn't so concrete. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. Coming soon to a city near you. Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. You're listening to the best of the Russ Belville Show. Here's another great segment from our past six months of episodes. We have time uh, for a few audience questions that have been submitted, which is really gracious of you to be here at all and to interact with our audience and our attendees and really appreciate your kind words for everybody here. One thing that uh, we talk about a lot is the barrier to entry to get into the cannabis industry, getting higher and higher and higher and leaving middle-class folks behind. Uh, certainly a big issue is leaving communities of color behind. I'd like to hear your thoughts on how we can address that here in California. Well, the, so, again, I made the argument or the point that social justice was the fundamental value to which we asserted ourselves through the BRC process, our commission process. We were pleased and honored to have the ACLU as our principal sponsor of our efforts, and you know at the core of their work the issue that you bring up as it relates to barrier of entry and to make sure the people that have been most impacted by the war on drugs are not without top-of-mind consideration as it relates to empowering that community to be part of this industry moving forward. And so we have spelled out very prescriptively in the legislation, in the initiative, 
a focus on economic development that targets communities that have disproportionately been targeted by law enforcement through our failed efforts against prohibition or in advance of prohibition. And so we have small loans, grants. We have specific targeted area focus as it relates to economic development to help support small business development. We have expungement opportunities for those that have been impacted that now can participate as entrepreneurs, not just as employees, but as owners back in this industry that have otherwise been banned from participation in the past. All of those things we were very aggressive in spelling out in this effort so that none of this would be missed through the implementation process. So that is fundamental to our efforts. Thank you. California being such a diverse state politically, you know, you have the Central Valley, which couldn't be any different demographically than here in the Bay Area. We've seen, you know, since Proposition 215 was enacted in 1996, a real reluctance and downright refusal to implement the law in many of the jurisdictions in the counties and cities. How do you see addressing that with the AMA going forward? Well, this was, I'll talk about one of the raging debates that I, I threw out five or six my opening, but one of the core debates was local control. Remember, California is a state, I talked about those close to 60 counties, but we also have over 470 cities. And as a former mayor, as a former member of a county board of supervisors, I, I respect the notion of local control. And, and you have some powerful leadership in the League of Cities here in the state of California, our county associations. And they wanted a form of local control. Now, the concern of that is self-evident because you just spelled it out. You could have a patchwork in California that could be very damaging and very hurtful to folks, not just the economic opportunities, the people that look for cannabis and all of its health benefits, and that may be burdened by that as well. And so we have created some incentives for what we argue is good behavior. If you're going to opt out, you don't get to opt in in the benefits of financial recovery. You don't get the benefits of those taxes coming back in your community. So we've created some incentives, we think, that will align with some more enlightened behavior to recognize that we're turning the page in California. We're moving in a new direction, and we're focusing on a health-based model, not prohibition. And so we think we'll get people to come along. And as I say this, I said it a moment ago, I used the phrase, it's not flippant, it's not a throwaway. Success leaves clues. It's one thing to talk about things. It's another to demonstrate it. And once you can prove something, as opposed to just assert it, once you can show people that you can do things responsibly and thoughtfully, Colorado, I think, is a good example of that. You just saw the studies that came out on youth use. I didn't see Bill O'Reilly leading his nightly newscast with that stat last night. You're seeing that the sky has not fallen in. And I think when counties in California and cities see that, other cities are successful. Other cities are seeing the benefits of a culture that's changing in terms of policing, uh, culture changing in terms of law enforcement. And I think you're going to see those counties come on board. But it will, as I say, take time. This is, to me, and, and as well as the – look, we're not going to get rid of the black market tomorrow night. You know that, particularly as an export state, right? We still have interstate issues. We have all the banking issues. But, by the way, won't we have a potent and powerful voice, California, in those national debates? 
And you'll have contiguous states, Washington, Oregon, and California, with congressional delegations that make all these other states pale in comparison in terms of heft and throw. Uh, we will have an outsized voice to begin to reconcile this. And you will have an outsized voice this November because, God forbid, Attorney General Christie is at the helm. And all this could be unraveled very, very quickly. And so that is not without consequence as well to make sure you have lightened leadership in the White House as well, like our president as of late has demonstrated. Thank you. Um, the question of industrial hemp has come up a few different ways. Can you just speak to you know, how you think of the role industrial hemp could play in California's agriculture economy, what communities might adopt industrial hemp and perhaps in not retail marijuana? Yeah, no, I, I mean, this is one of the big byproducts of what we're doing is the opportunity to fix that. I mean, that, this is one of the most perverse debates in the world, the hemp debate. My God, uh, the ignorance that's out there around hemp is just, it's so pronounced, so profound. Um, so, I, I, look, in this state, opportunities there are extraordinary and have applications that you are more familiar with than someone like me that we think could be very significant and economically beneficial to the state. So these are, again, these are areas of, you know, we, we talk about, you're right, it's, we we're talking about one aspect of what this initiative calls for. These are other aspects that are going to create real opportunity and economic vibrancy for our state that will be byproducts of what we're doing. Thank you. Um, one final question. How, you know, when the, the Blue Ribbon Commission was formed, there weren't any industry stakeholders involved to the degree that some would have liked. How do you see that changing going forward? And what's the best way that the industry can plug into the efforts in the campaign, but also after the campaign in the rulemaking? Well, it sounds almost patronized to say do what you're doing, because by definition, you have organized your efforts around having a more potent voice. And your voice is front and center in that. And of course, the great work that's being done with your state affiliate. Here's my fear. I just, big money in politics is so damn corrupting, I don't even know where to begin. I don't want to go all Bernie on you. Uh, but I'm happy to, if you want. Uh, uh, seriously. And, you know, there's nothing, this is, for me, this is my greatest responsibility. You know, I'm going to at least be around for the first few years of implementation in my second term as lieutenant governor. And I'm going to, if this passes, feel a sense of responsibility, as I said, make sure it's done right. But that's responsibility to you guys. And to not see outsized voice with folks with means and money buying their way to legislative bliss. And we have got to protect the small cultivators and distributors and small businesses of every stripe against the vagaries of the markets. I get free enterprise. We drafted some language in to promote for the first five years to promote aggressively against sort of monopolistic practices and against large concentrated interest coming together. We did that as much as we could in those first five years, so there's high emphasis of priority. We also emphasize, for those of you that have been good actors in the state of California, and you've been participating in this industry, and you've been at it, you're going to be prioritized in the opportunities of the future. That's prescribed in this language as well, so it can't just be some 
Fancy hedge funds coming in from out of state, just popping up with priorities. That will not happen. But I'm not naive. And so this question is the one, you know, besides protecting our kids and speaking to my wife's interests and concerns and mine as a family man, public safety concerns. It's a lot of money here. I know you know that. And, you know, it buys influence. And that influence cannot and should not be outsized for a select few. We've got to democratize that influence. And so when we pick the group to oversee this industry, it must have a representative group of points of view and people. And it's on me and others to make sure that is the case. So it's a long way to say something I could have said very simply. Hold me accountable to making sure you have a voice in that process. Thank you guys very much. Congratulations on getting to this point. We're grateful. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show... St. Paul's doing good work. It's Mark Greg, you're a prune tang. If I can use a medical term. Yes. <laughs> the New England Medical Journal. Oh, my That's God. That's right. Uh, you can call me Dr. St. Paul now. Dr. St. Paul. I don't think I will. No. <laughs> <laughs> you, you wouldn't even qualify to be a vet. Oh, I'm a special kind of vet. I'll make him less lonely. <laughs> the Stoner Jesus Show. Live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're listening to the best of the Russ Belville Show. Here's another great segment from our past six months of episodes. Was there ever an aha moment for you on this issue, or was there ever like a, a point at which you can like kind of pinpoint when you kind of started to come out in favor of legalization, or really started to formulate I mean, some for thoughts me, it's around about it? About human beings, it's about a million fathers that can't hug their kids because they're behind bars. It's about those, you know. 13,000 Californians two years ago that were arrested for felonies that now when they're asking for a job have to sign that box, which means they ain't going to ever get that job. And their economic prospects are destroyed and their kids' uh, prospects are significantly destroyed. I mean, it's, it, to me, it, I, I don't want to be righteous about it. I, lo- I love some of the punditry out there says, well, what's, why are you focus on this? This should be your top priority. How can the hell not? you got people literally incarcerated, people that are no longer free 
that are behind bars, whose lives are being completely destroyed because they didn't have a shot at Jack Daniels. Uh, they vaped uh, on the stridewalk, but they didn't look like me. Uh, and that kind of, you know, I get animated about that. Why the hell else am I in this business? To me, it's about social justice. It's about righting wrongs. you got to step in. But my, my knock on the politicians is this is happening. The world you're living in is the world you're actually living in. And, and if you can support the status quo, I want to have a debate with you because you may not know what's really going on. And if you know what's going on and you're not offering an alternative, then I don't think you're doing your job. And so it's one thing to say you're opposed to something, but I think you have an obligation to say, well, here's what I'm for that's different than the status quo. So, you know, again, I, politics is tough business. It's based on incentives. We tend to do what we are incentivized to do. And I get why there's not a lot of incentives to come out for legalization, because there's a lot of interest groups that you'll pay a price uh, for having that point of view. Uh, I know exactly what to expect in that respect, uh, in that light. But um, I also think you pay a price of your conscience. Uh, you got to sleep, not just proverbial sleep at night. You got to look back and say, you know what? I had a chance to make a difference, um, and uh, you know, I, I tried. Or you know, I walked away and you know, I abdicated responsibility. Uh, I, I just I want people to come out against the initiative, come out for it. And if you come out against it, I'm I'm all ears. You got a better idea? Let's hear it. But just to walk away from this, say it's not my issue when it is, because it's about your community, it's about your tax dollars. If you're a fiscal conservative, you hate this. The war on drugs. Because all that overtime, all the bureaucracy, all the criminal justice costs, that must infuriate you. Waste money? I mean, this is the ultimate manifestation of waste going on drugs. If you care about uh, poor folks, you care about uh, communities that are marginalized, this got to be your issue. has to be. Because they're being ravaged. Communities of color are being ravaged by this war on drugs. So I don't care what your political stripes are, is or are. you, you got to step into this debate. Sorry to... Extend my narrative here, but I'm intense about it. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now about a game for your phone, gonna make you say, Wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, with Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him, pink, that's the point. Download and play while you life yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You know about this podcast. What I really want to do from now on is to solve world problems. I feel like my job is to calm everybody down and focus on how we can save this planet. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're listening to the best of the Russ Belville Show. Here's another great segment from our past six months of episodes. We 
must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. I smell marijuana. Those three words in the mind of a cop can be all that it takes to cost you your life. I smell marijuana. This is a story that actually happened four years ago. It's uh, from 2012 uh, out of Michigan, but it surfaced on my Facebook feed today and it just uh, brought to mind just how important it is to legalize marijuana. You know, I, I get a lot of uh, a lot of haterade from people out there for my opinions sometimes uh, for wanting to legalize marijuana no matter what. Right. That I'll take anything, Uh, you know, Russ will take any any sort of legalization. He doesn't care. And this story is why even Ohio's attempt to legalize marijuana last year with its terrible business plan that created a oligopoly of 10 growers was preferable to maintaining the status quo of contraband marijuana. And this story is a perfect example. Why? Back in 2012, February 3rd. Of 2012, there were uh, there was a police call on an alleged domestic disturbance in northern Michigan, and the cops responded. Uh, it was Crawford County Sheriff Deputy John Clapaldo, Clapadlo, excuse me, Clapadlo, along with Grayling City Police Department Alan Samaro, an officer, Alan Samaro. Uh, the two of these officers, uh, basically, um, Samaro had been to an apartment building to investigate William Reddy is the man's name. Uh, and there was an alleged domestic disturbance. Supposedly, there was some sort of fight going on or domestic disturbance. So Samaro was called to investigate this disturbance. And when he was there investigating the problem, he believed he smelled marijuana. Now, it's important to note that nothing about the domestic disturbance seemed to rise to the occasion of investigation by the police. The police showed up there, but apparently there was nothing to charge uh, William Reddy with as far as a domestic disturbance goes. But Somero believed that he smelled marijuana. So Somero reported that to Child Protective Services in Michigan from the Department of Human Services in Michigan. And the CPS employees, they were named Craig Sharp and Stacy Sage, got a court-ordered warrant, basically, to remove the three-year-old son of William Reddy from the situation. Because the cops smelled marijuana. And Lord knows we can't have a three-year-old somewhere where marijuana might be smelled. So the CPS employees, the two CPS employees got a court order to remove the three-year-old son named Cameron. The two CPS employees asked the cops to go with them 
to serve the court order. So we've got two CPS employees and the two cops now, uh, Crawford County Sheriff's Deputy John Clapadlo and police officer Alan Samaro. So we got the two cops, got the two CPS officers. They show up to the apartment to take away the three-year-old child. Now, during the attempt to remove the child, officers were confronted by Reddy, William Reddy, who pulled a small foldable pocket knife and lunged at the officers. Now, I know there's a lot of people listening to this story at this point who go, oh, wait now, hold on, Russ. You said he got killed over marijuana, but this guy lunged at cops with a knife. You lunge at cops with a knife. Well, by God, you deserve what you get, right? Wrong. Because here's what happened. When these two cops were there, they had their tasers drawn. They had their tasers out. Both the cops had their tasers out when William Reddy presented himself with a knife and lunged at the cops. So did the cops shoot the tasers that were already in their hands at William Reddy? No. Clopadlo and Somero holstered holstered their weapons and then Clopadlo pulled his pistol and shot Reddy in the chest in front of his three-year-old son in his house and killed him. So I smell marijuana turns into we've got to steal your three-year-old turns into hell. No, you're not with a knife turns into a summary execution of this man. Now, of course, this was reviewed by the Michigan state police in an investigation and the Roscommon County prosecutor, Mark Jernigan determined that the use of deadly force by Clopadlo was justified. Absolutely justified. Now, the Michigan State Police, uh, Detective Sergeant Rick Seekley from the Michigan State Police, sought a warrant to charge Clopadlo. The cops themselves thought maybe he ought to be charged, but Jernigan denied the warrant. The county prosecutor ignored the cops, the state cops themselves, and said, quote, The deceased was in possession of an edged weapon. The deceased pulled a knife and hit it behind his back. At the point where he pulls his hand forward and lunges at the officer, he is in such close proximity and presents a clear danger of deadly force. The officer is left with no option other than to use deadly force to protect himself, the other officer, and the three civilians that were present. The use of deadly force is completely justified, and therefore, the homicide was justified. The guys had their tasers out. It took them longer to holster the taser and pull the gun than to just pull the trigger on the taser. Now, uh, Sheriff Kirk Wakefield, who's the Crawford County Sheriff, said that the officers are not trained to use tasers in a situation that escalates when a weapon is drawn, such as a knife. He added that police also do not engage in hand-to-hand combat when weapons come into play. A guy that is proficient with a knife can kill you in a second, Wakefield said. 
Wakefield, who has been a law enforcement officer since 1979, said he had attended numerous training sessions where knife fighters have given demonstrations, saying, quote, I can tell you that guy can be at one end of the gymnasium and be on you in a heartbeat. If somebody has an edged weapon, why take the chance? Why take the chance? You got two cops in a small apartment holding tasers and one guy with a small folding pocket knife. Folks, I don't think this guy was some sort of Cali Escrima martial arts master who is going to fillet both cops before they could pull the trigger on their tasers. The description given in this case is that the guy was far away with the knife behind his back before he approached. It just seems to me that there was many things that could have been done rather than turning to shooting the man in front of his three-year-old child as the first resort. And this was confirmed to me. I did a little Googling, because you know me, I look shit up. And I did a little Googling on knife attack. Cops repel knife attack. Cops subdue knife attack. And I thought, there got to be some videos out there somewhere of some cops taking down a guy with a knife where they didn't have to kill the guy. Folks, I found a lot of them. I found one where there was a man with a machete out in the street and cops basically surrounded him and were able to subdue him and take him down without even firing a taser. Just just with uh, tackling, they took the guy down. I found another case where a man threatened a couple of cops with a knife, like not a pocket knife, but a real eight-inch crocodile dundee, now that's a knife type of knife. And two cops were able to subdue that guy without firing a shot, without firing a taser, merely by tackling the guy. Now, of course, there is one common thread to all these videos that I found where cops were able to subdue a violent person with a weapon without killing them. And that thread is they were all in the United Kingdom. Yeah, for some reason, the cops in the UK have been able to take down all sorts of violent perps for decades now without killing them. You know that the number of people killed by cops in the United Kingdom over the past 20 years is about the same number as the number of people killed by cops in a week in the United States? Now, I refuse to believe that the cops in the United Kingdom or other countries where this doesn't happen, I refuse to believe that their cops are somehow supermen with special powers that our cops just can't master. No, I think what we found here in the United States is as much as some people in this country like to claim that we're some sort of Christian nation with pro-life ideals, that really, life is cheap here. Life is cheap. Now, I know there'll be plenty of people out there saying, well, if you don't disobey the cop, you just got to do what the cop says and they won't kill you. Is that the kind of place you want to live in? A place where the slightest disagreement with cops can get you killed? I'm not saying that this guy was right to pull the knife and jump at the cop. Of course not. But these cops got to stop being such cowards as to think they can't handle... One assailant between the two of them when they have non-lethal tasers on them. 
It's time for our cops to grow a pair and to start understanding that they don't just get to kill people willy-nilly because they're afraid of getting hurt. I know it's a tough job, but you chose to do that job, and it's time to stop killing the suspects when you don't have to. That's all the time we got for Hour 1. I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.